Good afternoon, Thunder fans, and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined after a long-awaited return by my Thunder buddy, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing today? Good to be back. Um, back from my one-week furlough, um, and yeah, looking looking ahead to covering Thunder basketball in this new year of 2023. Yep, I mean, we got to see each other for the first time yesterday in a week, and it was a big embrace. It was like at the end of um, Red, or it was at the end of Shawshank Redemption, where Red and uh, Andy are on the beach, basically. That's exactly how it was. It was it was just as dramatic uh, standing there at Thunder practice, um, watching Chet Holmgren get up some shots. So yeah, it's uh, good to be back. Exactly. Uh, well, did you see Donovan Mitchell's seventy-one point game last night? I didn't see it. I saw highlights and read some stuff after it, and that is that was incredible. I mean, the highest the the highest scoring game since Kobe. So back what twelve years ago, something like that. So um, just incredible performance from Donovan Mitchell. For sure. I just wanted to ask you, what is the most points you've seen uh, scored in person? The most points I've seen scored in person. Um, I should know this, Michael. But I, I don't. Um, listen, I, I once saw, <laughs> um, I once saw a fifty-point game in the uh, in the G League. Man, I'm 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 blanking on his name. The 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 big man from Creighton who played for the Thunder and the Blue. Oh, and, Justin and Patton. Justin Patton. I, oh my gosh, I, I I can't believe that. This is always my go-to st- story. I once saw him score. 50 or 50-something in the blue. They were playing the South Bay Lakers, who had no one over like 6-7, and Patton was just like yamming on them the whole game. So um, I, I once saw that. I don't remember which game it was, but um, in my younger years, I, I saw Durant. Um, I feel like I saw a Durant 50-point game, but I don't know. What what comes to your mind? Um, so on a field trip or like a – it was we went to a job fair to see uh, at the Thunders Arena, and we ended up going to a game – but I was there for during Russ's MVP season for his career high of 58 versus the Portland Trailblazers. Well, that's a good game to go to. And I, I looked it up. The next highest score on that uh, team during that game was Victor Oladipo with 16 points. <laughs> I, um, I've i seen Shea Gilgis-Alexander score 44. I've seen him score 42 a few times. Uh, th- those recent ones come to memory. I, I mean, I'm sure there were some opposing players that I – all of these games kind of run together at some point, so haven't really sat down to think about it. But um, yeah, it's a good. That's a good question. Nothing, nothing like what Donovan Mitchell did um, the other night. The the thing that it reminded me of is when Devin Booker went crazy a few years back. I was covering an NCAA tournament game, covering Kentucky, and everyone was talking about, "Are you seeing what Devin Booker's doing right now?" Um, and it kind of felt like that. Like, do you see what Donovan Mitchell just did? So, definitely a memorable night in the NBA. No, I got the tweet notification from Shams, and I thought that it was a joke Twitter account that someone hacked him. It was like Donovan Mitchell has seventy-one points. I was like, "What is this?" So I ran to my phone, immediately had to look it up. But last thing before we get into some Thunder stuff, I had a little trivia here for you. Um, the NBA has had 13 50-point games this season by nine different players, Joe. Can you name all nine players who have scored 50 or more this season? Okay, I'm going to try my best. Um, one of them is Donovan Mitchell. 
One. <laughs> Luka Doncic. Two. Um, Devin Booker. Three. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard has not scored 50 points this season. Oh, Kevin Durant. He has not scored 50 points this season. No, I'm off to a bad start. Uh, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has scored 59 and 53. Okay, so I still still got a ways to go here. Um, Trey Young. Trey Young has not. Ja Morant. Ja has not. Would you like me to just give you the rest of the Michael! Hold on, I've got a couple more guesses in me. Um... What what conference? Um, there's uh, so there are five left, and it's two. Steph Curry. Steph has yes, Steph. Um, and then would you like me to give you the name? It's two from each uh, from both conferences. De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is not. Okay, give me the answers. Anthony Davis with fifty five earlier this season. Clay Thompson also had fifty four last night. Oh gosh! And then Pascal Siakam had 52 a couple weeks ago, and Darius Garland was 51. I bring this up because the NBA is on pace for 28 total 50-point games this season. This would be the most since 1962-1963, where 34 games of over 50 occurred, including 30 just from Wilt Chamberlain, and the other four were from Elgin Baylor. That's what I was gonna say. I was like, are all of those Wilt? But um, almost all of them are Wilt. But pretty crazy. I thought that was interesting, which is the amount of scoring. Uh, maybe we'll see a Shea 50-point game sometime soon after you know he got some good luck and broke the streak of 42 over and over and over. I would guess that we are going to see a Shea 50-point game. I don't know if it'll come this season, um, but I, I feel like at some point, I, I mean, he's one of those guys that certainly, I mean, there's some guys on the list who have scored 50 that, you know, he's even a better scorer than you look at a guy like Darius Garland or like Clay's 50 point game last night came out of nowhere. And it takes kind of a special circumstance with Steph being out and someone's got to get shots up. Um, I was looking at, uh, I was trying to find the, okay. So thunder 50 point games. So Russell, the, the game you saw was the highest ever in thunder history, 58 points. Um, Russell has the top three with 58, 57, 54. Durant also had a 54-point game. And then Durant had a 51, 51, 52-point game. Russell, 50. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's been eight 50-point games in Thunder history. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I don't know why, but I almost thought it would be more. I don't know why, but because 50 is such a big accomplishment with the scoring here. But yeah. If Shea can get in that, that's a pretty good category to be in. But speaking of good scoring, I wanted to talk to you about Josh Giddy's recent play in December and some of his um, great, I don't know, improvement. Because earlier this season, you know, Barry and I were talking about some of the slander towards Josh and how he wasn't playing well. But just in the month of December, he um, is averaging, let's see, uh, well, in only 12 games played, mind you. But he's averaging 15.8 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 49% field goal shooting, 43% from three, which is the biggest thing, and 90% from the line, Joe. I'm looking at those stats right now. It's really, you know, he's had kind of quietly just a very good month of December. And um, one of the things we're going to talk about is like, is this a flash in the pan? And it's like, 
No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, look, look at his look at his season numbers. I mean, obviously they're not as gaudy as what he did in December. Um, but fourteen point nine points per game, eight point two rebounds per game, five point four assists per game. So his assists were actually down just a touch in December. Rebounds were up by one rebound per game. Points were up by one rebound per game. Um, the three point shooting was was really the only major change, and that's certainly the most welcome change. So. A, a good month for Josh Giddy, sort of settling in. Um, we talk over and over about how young he is. Um, we've yet to reach the halfway point in this season. He just crossed his 82 games played threshold um, a week or so ago. So just pretty rapid improvement um, when you look at the grand scope of things. We sometimes get caught in a four-game sample, a six-game sample. Um, but, you know, looking over a whole month, 12 games or whatever you said. I mean, that's that's a pretty good sample. Yeah, and 43% is definitely going to be an outlier. I mean, if Josh Giddy is a 43% three-point shooter, I don't even know what to do at that point. That would be insane. But it'll level out at some point. But it's very, very nice, as we talked about before, with his shooting and changing his form and things, just to have a hot streak here, just to raise some confidence. We saw him the other day at practice shooting around, and it looked really good. But just overall, the confidence is what I like to see most from him. So last year... 3.9 three-point attempts per game. He shot 26.3%. This year on almost one fewer attempts per game, uh, 3.0. 3. He's he's shooting 32.6%. So that's a 6% increase in three-point efficiency. And you know what? If he settles at – he's not going to shoot 43%. If he shoots he, – he's at 33% right now for the season – if he finishes the season at 33%, I think that's a huge win. I mean, he shot 26% last year. If you go from 26 to 33 um, from your rookie season to your sophomore season, I mean, I think that's fantastic. Now, 33% is below average, but 26% is um, well, well, well below average. So, uh you, you take that improvement and, and run with it, I think. And even at 33%, it's not terrible just based on where he is in his career and the other skills he has. I mean, if you're a role player who's just a 3 and D guy, you obviously need to shoot much better than 33%. But given all the other things that he's asked to do and the other talents that he has as a ball handler and a rebounder and the other things that we talked about, 33% just playing off Shea is definitely good enough and could help you win a lot of games in the future if he can keep up this pace. Yeah, and I like those rebounding numbers more than anything. 9.3 rebounds per game in December. Just let that sink in a little bit. Um, he, he led the team in rebounds in December. He led the team, tied for the team lead in assists, and I think was second in scoring. So uh, just doing a little bit of everything. We've talked a lot about how he's using his size. And Mark, Mark Dangle said yesterday he still has a long ways to go defensively, but the effort is there, and – you know, that's that's a good base. That's a good starting point. Um, and now it's just trying to um, get stronger, increase his athleticism a little bit, but but mainly understanding. I mean, if you, if you have a good understanding defensively and have high effort, you can sort of – you're never going to become an elite defender, but I think you can overcome sort some of your defensive limitations like – Steph Curry is a great example of this, and obviously Josh um, has a lot more size. But Steph used to be a minus defender, and now you know he's serviceable, more than serviceable, because 
just that understanding, that knowledge, that experience um, playing within the system. And, and I think Josh is going to be able to do that. And the Thunder are going to put him in advantageous situations where he's not really exposed defensively. Yeah, I mean, Steph, you saw as a guy who had to be hidden on defense for a while, like we see Trey now, Trey Young now, but Josh is not somebody who's not going to give effort on the defensive end. Like you mentioned, the game is slowing down for him. He's getting smarter in the schemes, and his body is going to continue to develop. And just being that giant frame and how big he is, it just gives you a little bit more positional versatility where you can put him on some wings and bigs who can't shoot or aren't as big of a risk, where with Steph, it's like, there are two guard spots. Pick your poison. But love yeah. to see it from Josh. Still 20 years old. That's crazy. Exactly. 2023, year of giddy. You hear it here, heard it here first. But uh, Joe and I were talking about it last week, and I wanted to do a recap of just what a difference a year makes, where we are this year compared to last year. And I wanted to start off by asking you, who do you think has raised their ceiling on the team the most or showed the most improvement in your opinion since this time last year? Okay, um, so on my notes that I'm looking at, I just have SGA, duh. Um, and, and that's, that's we, we know how, uh, <laughs> Shea is the front runner right now for most improved player of the year. So obviously we've known that, that he's improved, um, but we've talked about that a lot. So I'm going to go to a guy that I have been up and down on more down than up, and that's Poku, who of course is injured right now, but has shown a lot of improvement. And I looked at um, just year over year from 29% from three last year to 38% now. Um, He was averaging less than a block per game. Now he's averaging 1.3 blocks per game. And he he seems to be doing um, things a lot better defensively. He's averaging a career low 1.3 turnovers per game. So just kind of across the board, Poku – has been an improved player and you don't even need to look at the stats for that. Like he just seems more comfortable. Yeah. There are still some dips in his confidence that have been well-documented on this podcast and others. Um, but those are still some of the growing pains and, you know, assuming he comes back to, to full health, you know, in several weeks now or whatever it may be, um, this has been a season of improvement or first half improvement for Poku. Well, just think of the different conversations we've been having about Poku one year later. I mean, he was in the G League at this point uh, during the mm-hmm. season for long stretches, and now he's starting a lot of games. He's playing well. He's more consistent. He looks uh, more confident. Obviously, he got hurt right after a little bit of a rough stretch, but just night and day, it feels like Poku's ceiling and expectations for different people just based on the improvements he made over one summer, I can't really disagree with that. Poku's been a lot better this year in the limited sample size we've seen. Who do you have on your list? I went with the duh answer, and I went with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yep, you know, 24.5 points per game last season, 5.9 assists, 1.3 steals, five rebounds. He shot 30% from three on 5.3 attempts per game. That's been the biggest change. He went from seven free throw attempts at 81% to now he's at 91% on 10 free throw attempts per game. He's seventh in the NBA this season, Joe, in free throw percentage. He was 64th last year. He is now fourth in free throw attempts per game this season after being ninth last year. He only trails Giannis Embiid and Luka this season. 
It's been talked about a lot, but he has the most 30-point games this season of anybody in the NBA, but just a completely different category of player. Defensively, we've talked about it a lot, where he's really made strides and improvements. Like you talked about with Josh, just the effort and just the know-how and the smarts of it has really shown off for him. And as I mentioned, just a completely different category of player. I remember people last season talking about, would you rather have Shea or DeJounte Murray, which now is just a complete joke of a question. I mean, the Ringer last season did their top 25 players in the NBA. Shea was not listed. This season they did the updated list, and he is 12th in the world ranked as a basketball player. Yeah, and it didn't seem out of line whatsoever. I thought it was a pretty good list. And now instead of talking about, you know, Shea or DeJounte Murray, you're you're talking about people aren't even talking about Shea and Trey Young anymore. It used to be easy Trey Young and now it's easy Shea. Um you're you're talking about you're not gonna get scoffed at if you argue Shea over John Morant. I mean there's there's really no young guards in in the league. I mean outside of like Luca who, you know, whatever he is, um that that you can really make that argument against. So the, the leap you described, the improvement you described, it is the ultimate success so far for the Thunder this season, more than the you know three-point improvements, however nice they are from Josh Giddey, more so than Poku looking more in a groove, having Shea go from you know fringe all-star guy to what I think is an all-star shoe-in, um, an all-NBA player so far this season, it's... It's it's the best thing they could ask for, um, j- just to get a player like that. And yeah, his improvement has been remarkable. And you know, barring a huge second half slide, um, he's well on pace to win Most Improved Player of the Year. Most improved. I mean, he went from a fringe All Star like you talked about to now probably an All NBA team. He's going to be an All Star. And just the overall improvements that he's taken from star to superstar leap and going from just being an average defensive player in a lot of sense of the word the last couple of years to now an above average guy who you can go out there and expect to get stops. I mean, there were a few weeks ago whenever he stopped Franz Wagner in his tracks and just shut him down over and over and over. So just Mm -hmm. a lot of improvement from Shea. And that's been the biggest takeaway from this last calendar year of 2022 is just Shea's rapid improvement because that just skyrockets the ceiling for this team and this organization going forward yeah and he's just made the 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 team as a whole is so much better at this point in the season than they were last season and Shea's step is like a, a huge percentage of that well we're too positive here let's go to the negative side of who has uh, I guess underperformed this season based on last season's expectations uh, who has made you temper your expectations for them the most, Joe, from 2022 to 2023? Well, I think this is a pretty obvious answer, but I'll go with Trey Mann. Um, and it's not even from last year's expectations. It's more so from like preseason expectations and just how um, just how dynamic he looked with, with the ball in his hands and how, how dangerous he looked with the shot. And he's shooting sub 30% from three this year. Um, he's averaging 20 minutes per game. And that's that's low. That's eighth on the team. Um, I would have guessed, at worst, sixth. And that seems like an obvious answer. I, I mean, I thought he was going to be like a traditional sixth man. I wouldn't have been surprised if he played more than someone in the, in the starting lineup. Like, I, I thought he could be a part of some of those closing lineups, just given what he um, gives them offensively. But he's been in sort of an awful shooting rut, has come out of it some 
recently maybe is turning the corner after that brief stint with the Oklahoma City Blue. Um, now this doesn't mean time to give up on Trey Mann because he's still young and he's in his second year. Um, but the uh, the category we're talking about is temper our expectations, and I think there's there's no other choice but to temper expectations about Trey Mann at this point. I had the same. We both had the same no duh obvious choices here. Very, very <laughs> boring. But I also went with Trey. I'll preface this by saying he's playing much, much better recently. But overall, it's not far to say that he's been more of a disappointment this season compared to last season. Um, he's only playing two minutes less per game than last year, like you talked about. But his numbers are going down. Thir- uh, the three-point percentage is the biggest one, where it went from 36 to 29.5. I will give him this positive, is that he's shooting um, 47% from two from 42% last year. He's not getting to the line mm-hmm. as much, but just different ways. And I think a lot of it has to do with just him getting, I don't know, um, replaced in a lot of those minutes by Isaiah Joe and J-Dub, who can do similar things. What do you think? Do you think that it's more on his play as a lack of minutes, or is it a combination of things or anything in particular? Well, it's just different than where he was last season as a rookie because, you know, the roster just wasn't as deep, and the Thunder was still at a point where, you know, young players had an extremely long leash to work the kinks out at the NBA level, still get tons of minutes, you know, didn't really matter if they went into, you know, horrible slumps or anything like that or lost focus. But now it's like, I know the Thunder's not competing for a playoff spot, but guys are competing to to make this roster moving forward and to be a part of what they're building. And Isaiah Joe has um, been one of those guys who who have come, come in and, and Trey Mann's number one asset offensively is his three-point shooting. So if he's not making three-pointers, well, Isaiah Joe, who is making them, is going to is gonna take a leap up. Long-term, I this has become a divisive debate, I, I guess, in, in Thunder World. But long-term, I, I, I still think I would take Trey Mann over Isaiah Joe, just given the pedigree there, given the age. Um, I, I think... Trey can just do more things offensively than Isaiah Joe can. But if I J- if Isaiah Joe's number one skill set, his three-point shooting, is just at an elite level, that's going to matter than Trey doing, you know, more of the other things um, at just kind of a, a good but not great level. So um, I think that's, a, that's really interesting to see kind of how those minutes get shaken out. But, yeah, I mean, there's – there's more pressure on him. I, I don't know if that's getting to him at all. I know he's dealt with some injuries. Um, you know, it's normal for um, young players, any players, to kind of get down on themselves a little bit if they're not playing well. So um, it's going to be a big second half for, for Trey Mann to, to show kind of, you know, not what he's made of, but just kind of how he responds to a pretty rough first half of the season. Yeah, it should be good, and there are going to be a lot of minutes to go around. I mean, more of those minutes are in, I guess, the uh, backcourt or the front court, I guess, but still Trey's going to get his opportunities, his chances. Uh, you mentioned it, but uh, Isaiah Joe, much better three-point shooter right now, just off the catch at least, than Trey. He's a little bit bigger. It feels more sizable than it probably is in reality, and he's a better defender. 
But I'm with you. There's more versatility offensively from a guy like Trey. But only time will tell. Both guys, it's a very, very small sample size. I mean, Isaiah Joe is older and has played in the league longer. But he hasn't played all that many more minutes, I would guess, than Trey, who really got a lot of run last season. Yeah, and it's like, I I understand the sentiment. How did the 76ers let this guy go? Isaiah Joe had a lot of backers in that organization and had a lot of fans. He didn't shoot it exceptionally well. He didn't even shoot it very well or well at all. I, I mean, he, he sort of struggled. So this has kind of come out of nowhere. Now he was an elite three-point shooter um, at Arkansas in his two seasons, and everyone knows he still had it at him. He just hadn't really done it yet. So it's it's not like mind-blowing to me that Philly let him go after he shot um, – 37% as a rookie. I mean, very good, but 9.3 minutes per game, 2.6 attempts per game. Um, and then, you know, his attempts stayed about the same last season, shot 33% from three. So, um, and now he's at 45%. So I don't think this is an insane outlier. I mean, I don't think he's a 45% shooter, but I think it could be a 42% shooter, um, which is still elite. Um, but, but yeah, Isaiah Joe is older, um, but still a pretty small sample for him as well. He's only played in 125 NBA games. Yeah, Doc Rivers the other day was talking about Isaiah Joe and about the decision to let him go. And he said, the truth is I just don't have minutes for you and you need to go somewhere where you can play. You need to make sure that you can play. And that's the thing with a lot of these teams. The Thunder have seen it in the past with those Durant Westbrook teams of just, it is so hard. And the Warriors are feeling it right now of just, uh, doing two things at once where you're pushing and trying to compete and develop young guys at the same time. It's at a different level because of where he was drafted, but the Isaiah Joe thing in a lot of ways reminds me a little bit of Jeremy Lamb where he goes from the Thunder and then goes to much, much lower expectations and I guess pressure-wise on another team and just looks a lot better. Some guys just aren't ready out the gate to come in and compete at a high level on playoff teams like this. Like Lou Dort is the outlier a couple of years ago. Most guys don't come into the league as rookies or in their early 20s ready to play high-level basketball in a contender like Philadelphia the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, Philly's trying to win an NBA championship. They're not trying to groom a a second round pick for two years down the road or, or let him figure it out on, on the fly. Like you got to come in and, and be ready to compete. And you know, th- it's a different environment in Oklahoma city. So I think that's well said. And then the last thing on Isaiah Joe and Trey man, I really appreciate from Mark uh, that he has a willingness and this probably gets back from Sam of, you know, there is more, I guess, equity in a guy like Trey Mann because of the draft position and draft pick. But I like from Mark that he's willing and able to just play whoever thinks he thinks is the best player and who's playing the best basketball right now, rather than uh, pounding your head against the wall, playing the same guy over and over because you drafted him a little bit higher than the other guy you got off kind of the scrap heap in Isaiah Joe. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Joe has a non-guaranteed contract next season now I I would expect that that is going to get picked up but then 24-25 team option for 2.2 million so the Thunder has the bare minimum literally invested in Isaiah Joe and and Trey Mann was the 17th pick so um but but yeah I mean at some point it doesn't matter where you get picked it matters if you can play 
Yeah, should be fun. And as the Thunder, you know, with all these draft picks accumulate more and more young talent, it's be- going to become almost a dogfight mentality between these guys of just who can survive and who can beat out who. It's been talked about Ignazium just like with the process that they're going to be guys who get away. Like the 76ers had Jeremy Grant, TJ McConnell, uh, McConnell, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and other guys who got away, whether it be in trades or free agency or things like that. There will be guys on this Thunder team who go on to have success in other places. There will be guys who we think are really good now who won't go on to be good, but should be really interesting. But let's move on. Um, just talking about where this team was last season. So I looked up, and they did play a game on January 2nd of 2022, the Thunder lost to the Mavericks 95-86. The Thunder started Aaron Wiggins, Josh Giddy, Ty Jerome, Poku, and Isaiah Roby. Oof. That's, uh, man, that's a little surprising just given how early in the in the year it was. I mean, Roby started a ton of games, though, as did Wiggins. Um, Jerome is now uh, pl- playing big minutes for the depleted Warriors. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, it's a little different now. And then the guys in the bench rotation for that game were Teo Maladon, Kenrich, Mike Muscala, Derek Favors, and Rob Edwards. Rob Edwards, the pride of Arizona State, um, former teammate of, of Lou Dortz, and that's my extent uh, of knowledge on Rob Edwards. And then the other guys who traveled and suited up for that game in Dallas are Jalen Horde, Olivier Saar, Scotty Hobson, Paul Watson, and Thunder legend Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Deck. I have a lot of thoughts on all of these guys that I won't bore people with, um, but I, I, I liked Jalen Horde. I always like interacting um, with Jalen Horde. Um, Paul Watson. What Paul Watson basically was supposed to be Isaiah Joe, like a guy who was just an elite knockdown three point shooter and just couldn't shoot it for whatever reason in Oklahoma City and. Uh, the Gabriel Deck story, which I'll write a book about one day. So, um, wow, what a, what a time. Yes, what a difference a year makes. I mean, the guys who weren't on the team um, last season who are on now are you have guys like Chet Holmgren, J-Dub, Usman Jang, J-Will, and Isaiah Joe, all guys who have a bright future on this team or have played a lot of minutes this season. Um, so it, it's very, very interesting to see just how much it changes with those guys who were replaced, who we were talking about earlier, like a Gabby Deck, who it, I don't even, he's probably playing overseas somewhere, but there are a lot of guys who are no longer in the NBA who are playing a lot of minutes for that Thunder team last season compared to this year, where you're getting a lot of young talent who there's no guarantee they'll work out, but you can see the potential in a lot of those guys. Yeah. So at this time last year, Derek Favors had played in 27 NBA games. Um, 27 games for the Thunder. Ty Jerome had also appeared in 27 games. Maladone and Roby, 19 and 17. And you mentioned Paul Watson and Gabriel Deck. They had played eight and seven games, respectively. So I mention these names because it just speaks to the depth of the roster and the competitiveness. And, I mean, that really shows through. I mean, looking at last year, the record, it's not all that different I, I mean it's a game and a half two games the thunders uh 15 and 21 right now this time a season ago they were 13 and 22 but but check this out last last season at this point the thunder had a minus 7.2 point differential this year it's a minus 1.6 that's an insane jump um minus 7.2 is bottom of the barrel it's it's worse than the rockets um it's not quite as bad as the spurs have been it's 
Um, the Pistons, for context, are minus 7.3 right now. So, so at this point last season, the Thunder was where the Pistons are at this point this season as far as competitiveness, and the Pistons have been awful. So that just uh, really puts things in perspective. Well, the Thunder are now in a position where they don't have enough minutes for the amount of guys they had compared to last year where there were a lot of spots where they had too many minutes and not enough guys. So just overall, just crazy thing. And even the roster crunch over the summer where there were real talented guys who different Thunder uh, fans liked, like an Isaiah Roby, who they had to let go. But this is a, a good sign that you have to make tough decisions like this rather than choosing from a bunch of bad choices on which 10-day guys you keep who nobody else would sign up for long term. Yeah, and, and like even guys that are still on the team, Darius Baisley, for example, we've talked about him a lot. His minutes are down 10 minutes per game right now versus where they were last year. That's reflective of the team around him and, and sort of where he fits in. I also just wanted to highlight uh, a couple of individual performances. It's kind of easy to forget given how great he finished last season, but Shea was really struggling by his standards, um, early last season. So um, I just I just sorted by the same dates from last season to this season. At this point last year, Shea was averaging 22.7 points per game. He's now averaging 30.8 per game. He was shooting 41.8% overall. Now he's shooting 49.9% overall. So he's basically upped his points per game and his field goal percentage by eight points apiece. Um, so just kind of a remarkable first half to first half improvement from Shea and he's doing that without making the three ball but you mentioned the point differential and different things like that that reminds me of when we talked to Mark a few weeks ago about you know you guys aren't getting the I guess result that you would want whether it's uh, wins rather than losses but in the losses you guys are having you're not getting hammered like in the one like Memphis last year where you lose by 70 or you lose by 30 to someone I mean we can rattle off the three games where they've lost by 20 or so and I think that's a good sign that you can just name the few because it's not like an endless list like it's felt like in the last couple of seasons. Of course, you want to win games, but first, before you win games, you have to go from losing by a lot to just losing by an average amount to losing by a little, and then you win, and then it goes forward and forward. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, you know, the Thunder has made a bigger jump this season than I expected. And, and I know we're comparing right now to, to where they were last season. We don't need to get into the details of where they were two seasons ago. It really hadn't started in earnest, you know, pre-Horford shutdown, Shea injury. But, like, even where they were toward the end of two seasons ago, look at that roster. Um, you, you'll see the, the Josh Halls of the world. And then, you know, versus the roster we're talking about, this last season, it's like even that's surprising. And now this season, it's like none none of those guys would have would have had a roster spot or or fit in. So just kind of the now in year three of the rebuild, it has gotten incrementally better year after year after year, um, kind of rapidly better if you think about it, um, rather than incrementally. But yeah, the the Thunder's in a good spot. Um, Shea, we. Uh, we, we've mentioned just how important that is to this whole thing. So yeah, it, it, it was a really, it was a fun first half to cover. I, I keep saying first half, we're not quite to that point yet. We're at the 36 game mark, but just kind of dividing it from 2022 um, to 2023. But yeah, it, it makes me excited for the, the rest of the year. 
I'm sure all Thunder fans are very nostalgic for the Charlie Brown days of uh, Thunder basketball, of him starting and going out there. A lot of fun. I, but... like, I like Charlie Brown. I, I I had to ask him about his name and, and wrote a story about that and everything. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a time. That was I I think that the memory of that season is shoved somewhere in the recesses of my brain that I can't always access. I really have to focus on it when I try to remember that because no fans were at the arena because of COVID. The Thunder was the only arena in the NBA that never had fans the whole year. So we're just like covering those games and it's like you're at a scrimmage every single night. And it just, man, what a drag it was. And I know there was there was much more important things um, at hand during those times, but um, that was that is just a very forgettable season and kind of good in a way that uh, you know fans fans weren't allowed to see it and 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 for good for good reason. That season um, it, it, it reminds me uh, of like whenever you have a really good movie and then there's a sequel right after and everyone immediately like it was one of those that goes straight to DVD and you're like yeah we don't really talk about that one. It's like, I remember a yeah. few things from it, but uh, whatever, I'm trying to think of, like, maybe the new Star Wars, the last three movies. It's like, yeah, they exist, uh, but we just keep them in a separate category over here. Yeah, we talk a lot about the bubble season, and obviously that was the shutdown season. That was far more memorable, though, than the season following, um, where things still weren't back to normal. You know, the Raptors were playing in Tampa Bay, and... Um, all sorts of issues still with players missing due to due to COVID, but um, yeah, thankfully that's in the rearview mirror. And a few thing, a few more things on the comparison from last year to this season. The Thunder were at this point last year. You mentioned their record; they were fourth in the reverse standings. This year, they are at sixth currently. Uh, the Chet, Paolo, and Jabari pipe dreams were still alive and well for every Thunder fan, and they were flooding the Tankathon uh, website with their draft lottery simulator. Even if the record just isn't, you know, slapping you in the face being way better this season, I think it's easy and obvious to say that the product has been un, um, unequivocally and undeniably much better this season, Joe. Well, yeah. I mean, the the close games, the point differential, everything we've spoken to supports that. Um, you talk about flooding the uh, flooding traffic of the Tankathon site. I, that's what I'm doing right now. The Thunder, like you said, is sixth in the reverse standings. And again, this is the best of both worlds. We've talked about the steps players have made, the competitiveness. And you look, and they are sixth in the reverse standings. That gives them a 37.2% chance at a top four pick. I think the Thunder would gladly take that. It would give them a 9% chance at uh, Victor Wimbanyama. So I think they would, I think they'd take that. 9%? I mean, the, the, uh, the bottom three teams have a 14% chance, which um, is obviously better than 9%, but it sure doesn't guarantee you anything. Um, so, you know, just to have a, just to throw your hat in the ring and, and have a chance at that top pick or have a chance, a, a pretty good chance at the top four pick, um, even being at, at this position, um, it's not a bad place to be for the Thunder. 
And hey, crazier things have happened, but this season, you know, Josh is still revealing how high his ceiling can be as he continues to improve. Shea's obvious superstar leap. Uh, leap. We got teased with Summer League Chet and just what type of player he potentially could be, and it looks like he'd be the perfect fit alongside these guys, because if you were to say, what does this team need? You'd go, well, they probably need like a five who can block shots and switch out a little bit and rim protect and shoot the three and handle the ball a little bit and be a second scoring threat. And it's like, oh, you already have that on the roster? That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So just a lot of the worries that were here last season where it's like, oh my gosh, the Thunder have to get the second guy next to Shea or they need to get a guy who's even better than Shea to build this team around because he's not the guy. And just how different we are talking about the team right now. I think that Thunder fans and the organization and team as a whole are in just such a much better spot right now and better mood one year removed uh, from then. Yeah, I, I'm a person that uh, worries about a lot of things. So I'm, I'm going to see like what what one could worry about. So going back to the start of the season, I think the main talking point was the Shea Giddy fit, right? That's still TBD. I think obviously it's trending in a good direction, um, and the guys have certainly had you know isolated success. But I think they are playing off each other better, um, and I think that's going to continue to improve, but still something to keep an eye on. Um, I think not that it's something to, to you know, spend sleepless nights over, but I think still making sure that Chet Holmgren comes back fully healthy is the same player you thought he was going to be when he was drafted. That's not so much like a worry, but it's, it's it's just like a something that a threshold that you're going to cross, and once you cross it, you're going to be all happy about that. Other than that, um, I don't even know what the main worries are. If if the main worries are, hey, maybe Trey Mann's not a player down the road. In the grand scheme of things, that's not that's not a huge issue. Now, certainly you would you would want him to improve. Um, same same with Poku. Some of these other guys, like I I don't know I. Can can you can you think of or manufacture a legitimate worry that you would have right now? I mean, right now, and the only big issue before this was people talking about wanting hashtag free Shea, but a lot of that talk has just completely evaporated, which is the level he's playing at where every team and most fan bases who are logical know the Thunder aren't going to just trade him now, where there were other teams in the past and people were talking where it's like, well, the Thunder obviously want to tank again, so they want to get rid of him. He's too good. He doesn't match their timeline. That's just not even a discussion point anymore. But I agree with you. The Chet injury, I guess, would say, I would say is my biggest concern. Um, Josh and Shea, I have less concerns about. I, I actually wanted to bring this up with you. Josh and Shea playing together and building their chemistry. Do you think it's better almost for them to not have Chet out there because it makes them for it like forces them to work on different things together without like a easy release valve? Yeah, you don't have to like incorporate that supposed third guy of the supposed big three. I, I mean, um, it kind of kind of highlights their partnership more than like us talking about how are the three of them working together. So yeah, I think that's a that's a really fair point. Yeah, I think it should be interesting because if you do throw Chet out there, it is such a release valve and just a backup plan of like, oh, we have this tall guy who we can lob it to or just throw it out to three. But the spacing's not going to be as good with Chet out, uh, not out there, and the defense isn't going to be as good. So I think it challenges and puts Josh and Shea in different positions that might have been a little bit easier with Chet here. And 
that time is still going to come whenever he comes back and is healthy. Ideally, you know, knock on wood sooner rather than later coming into the next season. But I think Thunder fans have, should have a lot to be excited about going forward from 2023 on. I just want to mention um, one other thing. I also want to cl- clear something up. I, I'm not necessarily, I, I'm not proud of this, but I'm not necessarily optimistic by nature. And I'm, I'm certainly not a homer, but like, so, so I, I just want to, what <laughs> I want to add some validity to what, what we're saying. Like, I don't even know what you could like poke holes in right now. So I'm going to say something else um, positive. The Thunder very quietly is the 11th best defense in the NBA. Did you know that, Michael? I did not. No, they, we've had so they're, many they're, ups and downs where it was like 6th to 24th and back to 11. I know. They're they're down to 24th in offense, um, and they're 11th in defense. Now, you'll remember earlier in the year, they were like a top 10 defense, and last year before the All-Star break, they were, a top, they, they were the 8th-ranked defense. And it's like, is this real? And then it just went into a free fall. They had a really rough stretch of games. Um, and, uh, yeah, now ever so quietly, uh, one, one twelve point, I feel like I keep sorting this to make sure I'm right. One twelve point one defensive rating is 11th in the NBA. And in December, I think they were the eighth best defense in, in the league. So even that is trending in a positive direction. And they don't even have probably their best defender or team defender and Chet out there. Who's going to anchor their defense. So it should be a lot to look forward to. One last thing on 2023, I just wanted to ask you, by 2024, are there any bold conservative predictions or takes that you have about this team going forward, players, coaches, or anything like that that you hope to see or, I guess, are predicting? You know me, uh, they they called me a bold take Joe. Um, you know, I, I really I have to admit something to you, Michael, I... So, so just behind the scenes, Michael sends a, a very detailed and helpful outline for these podcasts, and I I went through and answered it, and I didn't I didn't get to the bottom. I didn't come up with my with my bold take, so I'm going to do it on the fly right now. Um, a bold take that. Uh, Would you rather me go first if it'll help you out? Yeah, but then it's not as bold if I take a little while to think about it. But I think you, just for the sake of everyone listening, I think you should go ahead and go first before I just stall some more. I had some time. It's okay. But um, earlier this season, the Thunder were set to play the Orlando Magic on TNT until Chet's injury was going to be the number one versus number two pick. The Thunder were bumped off of one their one non-NBA TV national TV game. Luckily, it has worked out where now the Thunder will get their TNT game this season. It will be one week from today, January 10th, against the Miami Heat. My bold prediction for 2023-24 is the Thunder get at least three national TV games that are not NBA TV. That seems that seems reasonable. Like I, I mean, it's bold, but it's reasonably bold or boldly reasonable, whichever you prefer. Um, yeah, everyone was excited for for the Paolo Chet matchup that never happened. And that's why that Magic game. Um, was taken off TNT. I was I was honestly surprised to see this Heat game flex to TNT. I th- I think you know maybe people just want to see Shea, and that's going to be exciting. So I I think they could get to three next year. Um, yeah, I I like that. Um, man, Michael, I I uh, I can't think of one. 
This is bad podcasting on my no, part. No, this is great. We're getting the, the real authentic Joe right here. Yeah, I just like struggle to even make up a make up a hot take. Um, I'm going to say that this is very in the weeds and something we haven't talked about in a while, so I'll just boldly throw it out there. Maybe maybe there's some traction on on the new arena talk, or I, I think we're gonna get get somewhere with that. Have more concrete, no pun intended, details. Um, for what the Thunder's future home will be. Obviously, it's still five, six, seven, or, or more years um, down the road, but it, it was kind of a hot uh, talking point, I guess, the, this last summer. Um, it's kind of gone away now, um, but I think there's momentum from both sides, from the from the city who owns the arena and from the Thunder, who is the biggest tenant and, and leases the, the arena from the city. Um, by the way, this is the most boring hot take in the world. But I think we're going to hear something on that. And uh, I'm all for, I'm, well, depending on how it's financed, I'm, I'm generally for a, a new arena. I would think that, that ownership would chip in. Um, that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get some, maybe we'll get some news on that. I wouldn't say that's boring. I think that's really cool. I mean, the new stadium, you're seeing a lot of different teams like the Warriors, the Bucks and others who have built new arenas and built like a new standard. I mean, obviously the Ford center peak Paycom center has been a historic spot for a lot of thunder games, but if we can move into the, uh, Barry Trammell center going forward, whenever they build the new <laughs> arena, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it's it's still a serviceable arena, but it is the smallest in the NBA uh, by square footage. Doesn't quite have the the bells and whistles. I mean, you've got to remember it was built before an NBA team arrived, so it had to be retrofitted um, to meet the standards of hosting an NBA team. And you know, I think Oklahoma City, especially like the downtown area, has uh, really undergone a resurgence. There's some cool spots. There's Scissor Tell Park. There's the um, Omni Hotel, the convention center, and kind of in the middle of all that is an outdated arena. So um, if you replace that with a with a new arena, I think it would bring even kind of more life to that area um, and be pretty exciting. Yeah, to put it in context, growing up, I went to the Ford Center, which was what it was originally called. More so, not for sporting events, I went for professional bull riding that my grandfather took me to and Disney on Ice. So two peak athletic performances right there. Dude, I I also went to professional bull riding. We we probably we probably like saw each other at those and and didn't even know the the PBR. It was a big deal every time it came through um, Oklahoma City. I I even went to some. Uh, I, I was I was not much of a. Um, I, I I don't want to to give the impression that I was, um, you know, raised on a farm or or something. But I I guess my my grandparent, uh, my grandpa liked bull riding and we would even go up to the lazy E arena in Guthrie, um, to, to some events there. So, um, yeah, really got sidetracked with that one. Yeah. I'm sure people look at our pictures and they say, now that's a cowboy <laughs> right there. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps I didn't need to clarify that I am not indeed a real life cowboy. Yeah. We look, uh, probably, we'd probably look worse than Luca when he pulled up the other day and like that Mustang with the cowboy boots and chaps on in the hat. That was pretty cringy. I I didn't like that. Um, it was just like, ugh, this this doesn't look right. Um, maybe the Thunder should do that. I I think Shea could pull off a cowboy hat. Do you remember maybe when um like, when Chris Paul did it a few years ago in Houston? 
Yep, Chris Paul. Chris Paul did it. Um, Chris Paul didn't do it here, but he did do that that one cool thing where he bought everyone a suit, and they all wore like not matching suits, but they all wore suits to the arena. And like Stephen Adams was all dressed up, and he always wears like sweats and flip flops into the game. So um, it was it was kind of a fun night to be in the locker room. That was pre COVID um, when they all did that. So yeah, pretty cool gesture. I mean, if anyone can pull something like that off, it's, it's Shea, Mr. Mr. GQ over there. So maybe he'll outfit his teammates. Yeah. Steven Adams had the hat on, like he was delivering newspapers as a small child. I remember that, but I don't know. The last thing I'll say on this before I finally finish this up, because I know that you're very busy is that I would pay an ungodly amount of money to just have for like a week Shea just decide whatever Mark's going to wear to games. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be good. Um Yeah, they they uh very understated. I mean, really all coaching staffs are these days and uh, the Thunder their their main equipment guy Wilson Taylor, shout out Wilson, picks the outfits for the coaching staff before every game so mark is you know literally told what to wear as are the rest of the coaches but in, in instead of um elite equipment um manager picking out the outfits if you had shay picking out the outfits then they would be wearing all sorts of crazy stuff um that would surely be like meme worthy and and just like no one would pay attention to the game we'd all be like taking pictures and laughing at the coaching staff five craig sagers on the sideline but i don't not doesn't even have to be in the game if it's just mark walking to the arena dressed like a fashion runway model that shay found in a magazine somewhere that's enough for me i just need it one time yeah why don't we get like the tunnel shots of coaches you know all, all of those basically the the red carpet looks that we get at the players every game we we need those of the, the coaches and assistant coaches I need I need Mike Wilkes and Mark Dagnalt and you know Dave Bliss all those guys I, I need to see what they're wearing on the way, way to the game actually I don't need that at all but um, maybe someone does if the Thunder are listening we need the Michelob Ultra drip cam on the coaches exclusively for one night is that I, I've heard people reference that's what it really is the Michelob Ultra drip cam yeah and they'll go around oh. the arena and show off fancy shoes and different things like that. Unfortunately for me, because um, we're up in a seat where they can't see my shoes, I haven't been displayed. But Daniel Bell and I were both heartbroken that we haven't been featured yet. But hopefully soon. Yeah, I've not been featured, but uh, I've neither been heartbroken nor surprised by by that. But we'll 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 see. Maybe if they have the uh, Michelob Ultra, um, what's the opposite of drip? drab dry one the drab the, the yeah the, the dry cam um i might i might be on that we'll, we'll get your socks in there but anyways joe thank you so much for joining me it's been great to have you back uh do you have anything to plug before we get out of here i know we have a great game tonight to go to Uh, yeah, I think we talked about like Belgrade or something like that. I don't know that you. Yeah. Should be good. That's what we call in the business a tease.
Should be a lot of fun. Always read Joe. Always read Barry. Always read Jenny. Uh, make sure to get all your Thunder inter- uh, information from the Oklahoman. Uh, follow both of us on Twitter. Follow at ThunderBudPod on Twitter for all the updates on our podcast, graphics, stats, and all that other jazz. Uh, we are the Thunder Buddies. We are brought to you by the Oklahoman. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back on Friday. Friday.